This is episode 25, Talk Therapy, Meaning and Understanding, with Carrie Perriman. Today, Lisa's talking with Carrie, defining what is therapy, talking about hypnosis, neurofeedback, reparenting, EFT, which is emotional freedom technique. Also going to be mentioning Gongaji, Brene Brown, Dr. David Hawkins, all on the Alternative Health Tools podcast. Before we get into the show, I wanted to mention that we've renamed Health and Wellness Encinitas podcast to Alternative Health Tools. Over the last year, we evaluated exactly what this show was about and how it can help people and renamed it Alternative Health Tools podcast. This is for those looking for insights and tools of proven alternative health. We also put up a Facebook page, which can be found on Facebook by searching for Alternative Health health tools. From there, you can listen to any of the episodes we've already published. Now for the show. Welcome back. This is Lisa Thorpe with Intel Bio and Thorpe Institute of Integrated Medicine. Today, I have Carrie Pearman, our marriage and family therapist with us, and I will divulge right now This is not just another health and wellness practitioner. This is one of my very best friends who I love dearly. (laughs) Carrie, thank you so much for coming in today. You are so welcome. I know we've talked about it for a long time. Yeah. And you had to I'm make sure here. you had to make sure what was really going on, right? <laughs> <laughs> and our schedules finally collided. Right. So um, I want you to just tell people a little bit about what you do. Um, I'm a marriage family therapist and have been for, I was trying to think back of how long I started and it's seems like a couple of years ago it was 10 years and now I'm getting somewhere <laughs> into like 18 years. We're dating a, ourselves. It's a been therapist. a lot more than 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, you know, have a really diverse, uh, clientele that I've seen for a long time of all ages with couples and families and individuals and. Um, and I'm also a neurofeedback practitioner and also trained in hypnosis and um, EFT, emotional freedom technique used yeah. for trauma. So I have a little bit to my repertoire. It's, a, it's a, quite a full toolbox. So you, you see people on a regular basis, you do regular therapy. And, I do. And you once said to me something that was really impactful about therapy because I think for me, like many people, I kind of grew up with this idea that you only go to a therapist if you're like screwed up. And right. you're like, well, it really <laughs> used to be the luxury of the rich. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that puts a whole new perspective on the fact that if this used to be something that was a luxury that wealthy people could afford because it actually is a really huge benefit to be able to go to somebody else and talk about what's going on in your life. And and I think made me start to think of therapy in a different way. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was this idea that most people were getting their basic needs met. And so... Who's that? (laughs) (laughs) This is Maslow's hierarchies of of needs that was, you know, most people are just trying to get, you know, food and shelter. And so it was actually just a certain small portion of the population that, you know, had the luxury of 
kind of, you know, figuring out emotional growth and spiritual growth. But now with social services and, you know, court systems, it's really funneled um, people into therapy. But the truth is, is that most people still don't understand what therapy is. And most people come into my office very confused about what it is and what it isn't and the vulnerability of being there and, you know, what family thinks of it or their husband thinks of it. And so I don't think that it's talked about. I still think there's a lot of stigma and shame and confusion about therapy. So what is therapy? Essentially, it's a place to be able to really kind of talk about what's going on with you and sort of have someone who guides you. Most of the time when people come in, they'll say, oh, are you going to tell me what to do? And I always say, I'm sure you have plenty of family and friends that have done that for you. Right? <laughs> and what therapists do is we sort of are trained in asking you the questions to give you space to explore. You know, why do I think this way? Why do I feel the way I feel? What is it? Where did it come from? You know, so it's kind of a creative process. Some people come in and they want structure and they want homework and they want books. Um, and that's fine, too. Um but I'm, I'm sort of, I'm kind of a, a therapist that sort of just kind of works with the person individually and figures out, you know, do they need more direction? Do they need more space? Do they just need to be heard? You know, what is it? And so that's kind of the creative process of the therapy that I do. Um, and it's, it's a passion. It's very passionate to me. And I've learned a lot through the process over the years about myself and, and people. Um, I don't know if I'm getting off track, but back, no back track. to therapy. I mean, therapy is really just having um, somebody that can help you gu kind of guide you through whatever you're going through. And it is a parenting process. And a reparenting process. A reparenting right? process. Because uh, we know no parents get it right the first time. So it's kind of right. like if you, go into, if you go into therapy, you right. get a chance to reparent yourself with somebody who's unconditionally loving. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you are that. And I, I am, I'm well, here. I'm a testament. <laughs> Carrie's unconditionally loving. You're a great therapist. Thank even, you. Even as a friend. So you talked about... Um, the, the books, and, and this is something I was looking forward to talking about while you're here, is because we share some favorite books. That we do. We do. Lots of them, actually. Lots of favorite books. <laughs> yeah. That are books that people can pick up and that they can use to change their own lives. Right. And uh, some of them are are not even books. Actually, even videos. Uh, like we've we've both really enjoyed uh, some speaking engagements and videos uh, by Gangaji. Right. And I know yeah. that's one. So maybe you can touch a little bit about how you use that sort of tool in your practice. Gangaji, I love her. And there's many people that love her, too. She has a huge following. Um, she's She has an esoteric feel about her, meaning that, um, you know, most people like more practical people. So like uh, Brene Brown has books on shame. And a lot of people gravitate to that. It's very practical. It's simple to read. You know, I, it, I leafed through that one really quick, but the, but the core yeah. message, and this is what I love about sharing this kind of information, is is you gave me the cliff notes. I leafed through it, and I got the main point from that, which was we need to have compassion for our own shame. Absolutely, and what a powerful and, thing that is. And even more than compassion, how important shame is in in actually being part of emotional and spiritual growth and deeper connections with other people. So I love that Brene Brown 
brought in that the big piece on shame. You mean we can't just learn to be narcissists and forget about our shame? <laughs> right. Yeah. Denial. I mean, we're, we're definitely we're very conditioned to um, to not feel to push things away, to sit in apathy and just go into shutdown. We really are not taught to make space for how we feel. And so as a therapist, when people come in and they're grieving, there's always shame about it. You know, um, I'm embarrassed that I feel this way. I feel like I should be done right now. I feel like I should be back to work. I, I feel guilty that I'm isolating. And nobody says, you know, you're in grief. And in grief, there's a healing time. Can you make space for it? Is there any kind of, can the world stop? For a little bit, and we we live in a society that says no, it can't. You know, and it reminds me of something I, I've told uh, clients in in our in our work, which is if you don't take time to heal, the healing is going to take more time. And I see it regularly with people with right. injuries because they'll I'll be like, look, get off, lay down, you know, immobilize as much as possible at the very beginning, and you'll heal faster. Or you're going to you're gonna keep re-injuring, and it's going to take a long time. And I think when it's literally a broken bone, it's a little bit easier to comprehend. But when yeah. it's the loss of a loved one, you don't see that wound. There's no crutches to let go of or take away. Right. But yet it's the same premise. I love that you draw that parallel because it is true. You know, if you break your leg, people say, you know, you know. You, you need time and, off. And even when I've broken my leg to actually stop, you know, has been hard. You feel this like, oh, but I want to get up and go swimming tomorrow and I'm supposed to just sit here for how many months (laughs) to do this? (laughs) But with emotional stuff, we, we, we don't think about it the same way. We don't think that we, that there's a healing time that essentially we're, it's similar to a broken leg where the life that we had, it's not going to be the same. There's going to be and people try to push through it. And I've seen this as a therapist. You know, my mom died and I'm just, I'm working more hours. I'm pushing through it. I'm pushing through it. And eventually your body will shut down. <laughs> is right. what happens. The, the emotional uh, unrest becomes a, a physical issue, right? It does. People will either end up with panic attacks where they literally can't go to work. Uh, they'll end up with sleep disorders where they can't go to work. I mean, everything in your body will say, uh, I don't care what you think you have to do until you handle this until you go through the grief and experience it we're not moving right well and there's yeah. so there's uh, so much now on how our uh, emotional well-being uh, it if it is not taken care of it becomes physical disease so right. not not just shut down can't get to work but you're going to wind up with cancer and I don't want to say wind up with but it very may well lead to an actual physical disease if not dealt with uh, in in the emotional phase right yeah. yeah. I mean, they know, yeah, this this correlation between, you know, mental health and, you know, physical health. And that's another reason to go see your therapist. Right. <laughs> there you go, people. Get, get in to see Karen. Go. Get, get in to see. So who, who, but who nowadays, who needs therapy? I think everybody could use therapy, but obviously, you know, I think uh, people in transition are good candidates for therapy, you know, um, 
people who are obviously going through divorces, who um, their kids are leaving the house is a big one. They call it the empty nest. Um, kids before they go to college are a good one. You know, the teen pressure to get to college and then to be, just be in a different state all of a sudden. Right. Um, living a whole different life. We is, don't even we don't think about We kind of take prepare. for granted that teens should be able to just handle that stuff. Oh, yeah. The teens are really, really stressed. I mean, nobody... And and it, they're embarrassed if they go to junior colleges and, and right. that kind of thing, too. So, you know, and a lot of them have been working so hard to get to these colleges, and they never pre-think, well, what is it going to be like when I'm, you know, out in Arizona or when I'm in Denver, Colorado, and I've spent my whole life in, you know, Escondido or right. <laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. Big transition. Mm-hmm. So transitions are a, a good one. Um, a lot of people go for self-growth. You know, there's things that they didn't really talk about ever that were part of their past growing up. Maybe their parents divorced when they were little or some kind of abuse that they had or some kind of a trauma. And they're sort of going back at different points in their life to kind of say, you know, I never really processed that. I never looked at it. And I'm wondering if those kinds of things now are keeping me from being what I could be at work or being what I could be in my marriage now. So go there. Right. There's also that. And you mentioned not only talk therapy, but you have other tools. You've, you've worked with hypnosis as well as uh, EFT, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit uh, explain how can hypnosis help people? Hypnosis is really, um, basically it's a relaxation exercise And so a lot of times when we're relaxed, we're more likely to listen to messages. Um, And sometimes when we're anxious about things, we kind of, I mean, we all know this, you know, that we, our fears kind of keep us from being able to open to something. Right. And so, and so hypnosis is really the idea that you kind of, somebody walks you through a relaxation exercise and then you sort of go back for example, I have a, a client who came in because he's a brilliant guy um, and he's an engineer and he's got to do public speaking now for his job. And it's just very stressful for him. And so we did some hypnosis, kind of just walking through going into a conference room and, you know, kind of connecting with the people there and connecting with the space and just doing a sort of a walkthrough about feeling really right. confident and relaxed while he's giving the talk. So it's a, it's a visualization and also a feeling. Right. Um, and it, well, there's all that research that visualization is, is as effective as actually doing whatever right. it is you're trying to get great at. Yeah. I had another guy who got in a in, in an accident on his bicycle. He was a an avid biker, and there was a construction site, and there was a like a wire that they had running across, and so he didn't even see it, and he just wiped out. And so we just did some hypnosis about kind of going back through his course and being really relaxed and getting up to where there's a construction site and calmly and with confidence like he had before passing it so at good, a very good cruising for even like some, speed. That sounds good for even like uh, PTSD, post-traumatic situations. Right, yeah. I like the way you describe hypnosis because I think 
there's a connotation that it could be in some way a practitioner trying to subliminally well, everybody manipulate. Knows the Vegas shows, yeah, right. right? <laughs> I've seen them myself like, too. I'm not doing a Vegas show. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not going to stand up on the table and act like a monkey. I'm sorry. <laughs> not today, <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So how about EFT, uh, emotional freedom technique? And EFT is also actually a relaxation effort, uh, kind of a technique where you go through whatever trauma that you have and you do a series of tapping. Um, and these are tapping meridian points. Right. I'm all into the energy points. These are, <laughs> right. energy these are points. real people. These are real. It's all right. energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sort of bringing your nervous system down in alignment as you go through you know, I mean, this is kind of a basic of what it is, but um, there's also shame in EFT. That's a, the, one of the things that you usually say is, even though I have this problem, I fully and completely love and accept myself. So it's it's also going through whatever it is that you're frustrated about or experiencing, you know, maybe it's the shame that you have this fear of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> so it addresses that piece also. So just kind of, you know, coming back to that. So not the fear, not, not only the fear itself, but the, but the other attachment. Right. And how shame actually can kick in our fears a little bit more. They sort of interlock. And what I, what I power. like about EFT, I've tried, I've, in every once in a while, I'll actually do it still because it's such a handy tool to have mm-hmm. wherever, whenever, and it's a self tool. So it's unlike hypnosis where, which you could do self-hypnosis, but typically somebody else is guiding you through. But EFT, it's something, once you've got it, you have it and you can use it for anything, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, I think people feel uncomfortable with it or they love it. (laughs) And so, you know, for the people that love it, they just, you know, in, in 30 seconds, they can like run through this tapping exercise. And and I like to just kind of, kind of downsize it. You know, like, okay, I don't need to do all the points. I'll just do these main points and rub this. And you don't even have tap. You could just like do a little massage. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like about the EFT. Yeah. <laughs> You're good at remembering to do it, even. You tell me. I'll do a little EFT. Yeah, tap, your, tap, tap yourself. Tap. <laughs> yeah. The neurofeedback is the other thing that you do, which is right. pretty amazing. The neurofeedback is very amazing. Matter of fact, my son is doing neurofeedback right now, um, not through me, because I believe that you know, don't tutor your kids in math, don't teach them to swim, you know, (laughs) take them to other people. So I'm taking him to somebody else to do neurofeedback. But my son is six and a half and has symptoms that are pretty much ADHD symptoms, you know, attention span, the normal attention span for someone his age is like, you know, a minute and something seconds and his is about half that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a it's a really great, I, I, I don't want to say alternative to medication, because people don't, in the neurofeedback don't like that word and vi- vice versa, the medication, the medication industry doesn't like that. But it's, it, it is really a great alternative <laughs> to putting well, your kids on medication. And it's really, I mean, the way I understand it is that it's Pavlovian. So it's allowing, it's giving the brain a feedback loop to autocorrect itself. Right. And so, 
especially for children, but this is for anybody that's doing it, and I've done it uh, with you. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a computer screen. You're looking at something that's uh, basically like a video game. And you're hooked up to leads, so you control what happens, whether the game speeds up or slows down, and you're able to start to focus. Your, your ability to focus or relax actually changes what's happening in the game, which is really cool. Right. Yeah, it definitely it has a feedback loop. And so the great thing about neurofeedback is there's no side effects. You know, you're not on a medication for a long period of time. You know, with medication, you have to go on, kind of see how you do. Um, a lot of people have bad side effects. To oh, they it. all have bad side effects. Um, I mean, it's it's, it's easy. <laughs> some people right away, you know, point, sometimes but... it takes a while to figure out the medication part. With neurofeedback, you're getting actual feedback about what your brain waves are doing. So you can look and see, okay, you know, you have a brain that's sort of overstimulated or understimulated. And through the use of a computer, you can correct those imbalances to kind of bring the brain to a balanced homeostasis. It's an exercise. It is an exercise. It's kind of similar to a disc defragmenter. You know, when you would put the disc defragmenters in your computer and it would sort of get rid of all the slow stuff and get your pewter kind of running (laughs) right. That's essentially what neurofeedback does. Um, And kids love it and teens love it because it's video games. And a lot of times talk therapy isn't really a good fit for kids. Matter of fact, talk therapy isn't really a good fit for, you know, certain types of people. Uh, uh, There is this assumption that everybody is a good fit for therapy, and and that's not true either. You have to be able to kind of come in and and talk and process things. And not everybody likes to talk. Not everybody likes to talk. introverts, right? Right. Very shy people um, sometimes don't like it, or, you know, sometimes teenagers really don't want to talk at all, you know, teen boys. Uh, So... You know, it's just, it's trying to find kind of the right fit out there. Um, and neurofeedback, before we move on, I, the, the research, because you mentioned teens, the research is that neurofeedback after a certain amount of sessions actually improves IQ. Yeah. Which, uh, for me, I yeah. heard that and I'm and like, golf well, so before, uh-huh. before you want to learn to golf or before your teens are going to go take their SATs, right? I, oh my it, God, right? Yeah. A lot of people... Um, you know, lawyers taking the bar are going to neurofeedback because it's, you know, it calms down your nervous system and also it gets rid of a lot of what's called theta, which is a slow brain wave um, that we all kind of end up having just because the, there's more toxins in the environment and we're all kind under, of under, not getting enough sleep, not getting enough sleep and stress and all these things. So most people have, you know, s- some of level of theta that they can clear up. So it's just, it's a great kind of, you know, it kind of, Get your brain running right, and it also keeps you calm. So I, I love I love these kinds of tools because uh, I think it's very normal and natural for us to think about getting our bodies in shape. That we could go buy some dumb dumbbell, dumbbells or go to the gym, get a gym membership, or buy some fresh juice. But it's not normal to think about how to get your brain in shape. And yet there are some amazing tools. There really are. I mean, you know. N- neurofeedback is kind of it's 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 becoming more popular you know at one point you know it was like yoga you know people kind of there was some people that knew about it and liked it and now you really see a yoga boom and you know people love it and it helps bring your nervous system down and it has so many great wonderful things so and neurofeedback is coming up uh up the ranks 
um, as well um, as something that people are really interested and excited about. You know, as technology gets better, the neurofeedback's getting right. getting more sophisticated too. So, I um, love technology, technology, right? Yeah. So I want to interject and just let our listeners know that we love and appreciate your feedback. You're always welcome uh, to to email us at feedback at thorpeinstitute.com. If you have any questions, again, feedback at thorpeinstitute.com. There's another book that you and I share in common that's literally one of my, my favorite my favorite books, my Dr. David Hawkins, right. uh, Power Versus Force. And I have to bring it up because it's one of my favorites. And, favorite. and this guy was such a cool guy. He was a doctor, I believe PhD even, and he had a couple near-death experiences. He, at one point, was, people were having healing experiences before even entering into his clinical exam room. And he talks a lot about consciousness and, at one point, even calibrated the levels of consciousness, which... Mm-hmm got condensed into a two-sided chart, which <laughs> I love because I'm all about really simple, easy tools. And so I make copies of that chart, and I know that you've made reference to it in your practice. I, uh, I definitely use that chart all the time in my practice. Teenagers love it. It's really easy and simple to understand. And I also, I think with that chart, I think differently about emotions and where people are. Maybe just to kind of have a little understanding about power versus force graph, um, David Hawkins put together emotions based on energetically where they are. So he kind of at the bottom has guilt and shame and then um, grief and apathy in the neurofeedback world, we would call these things theta. So this is kind of like a slow moving brain, a slow energy. If your brain is a light bulb, you're kind of on dim in this area. And then the next part of the graph is uh, the faster brain waves. In the brain world, we call them beta. And these are like, you know, anxiety and anger (laughs) coming up the graph. Um, And then he gets to the top of the graph and there's some kind of neutral Areas am I explaining neutrality. this right? There's yeah, neutrality no, and it's... willingness, and these are acceptance rates really high, and forgiveness, then we... um, and then understanding. That's why they know actually that therapy works because if you can kind of come in and, and talk about your problems and find meaning and understanding, it changes brain chemistry. Right. So that's on there. Um, but just like the scientific community, at some point you can't intellectually understand life and you sort of have to let go and be in peace, love and joy. And this is why the farmer can be happy. Um, And according to David Hawkins, enlightenment has only been Jesus, Krishna and Buddha uh, at the very top um, at a thousand. So he, he has a graph. The graph is, it's kind of two sided, you know, one is sort of our ego and, you know, trying to get our needs met and all the, the emotions of survival, and right. then the other half of the graph is what we could say spirit or love or right. connection. So it's a, our negative consciousness or our uh, survival consciousness, and on the top is our a positive, our, uh, like on Maslow's, <clears throat> our fulfillment when we're actually going into uh, self-actualization. I like to kind of think of it as like one is the bottom is like your primary animal, and right. then the top is actually like spirit. 
and how many times we're, we're actually too much in our primary animal and we're sort of unbalanced. We're not in spirit. We're thinking about our, our bills and our bank accounts and our problem. Sure. And it's yet, hard. Well, it's hard to get past survival. It's hard to it's get hard past to get, fight, right. flight or freeze. And, and you have to have all your needs, you know, roof, clothes, food, fully met on an ongoing basis to, to start to get to those those higher levels of, of uh, rational thinking and understanding and then wanting to pursue love and fulfillment. I mean, those, right. those are pretty lofty goals. We think we do. Yeah. We think we have to have it all together to get to those lofty, but really... It's accessible at any moment. It's accessible right. at any moment. Yeah. It's true. And so the, the graft is another... I mean, it's just a, it's a great graph to look at where you are emotionally, power versus force graph. And you can go online and look at the map of consciousness at I any it. time. I love it. And the only thing is that it's a little linear. It's a little linear. It and I, a, it's very linear. But, but uh, it's not but actually it's a awesome game of tool. shoots and ladders up the graph. It's more like we dip yeah. in and out it's of positive and cycle. negative emotions and at any time. And the, I think the best part, which, you, which I think you're alluding to, is that it shows how normal and across the board encompassing all of these emotions are, that it's something that everybody experiences. It's part of human consciousness. Right. Absolutely. We need the polarity play. So, I mean, people will come in and they'll say, you know, if you could just get rid of all my negative emotions, like give me the five tools to doing that, if you would, please. But the truth is, is that no matter how, you know, rich or smart or lovely we are we can't that as human beings we 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 dive in to negative emotions and and to positive emotions um every day throughout our life and so there needs to be more space and more openness also for some of the you know for anxiety and depression we have a really a horrible viewpoint of it you know if you have depression hurry up and go get that you know there's something wrong with you and the truth is they're very important. So I think that's also a misconception when people come into therapy. How does the therapist get therapy? Uh, you, they see you, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> friendship. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, friendship. And, you know, I, I've used tools over the years. I go to yoga and, and I definitely have my friends. And, and I've had to work at it. I've had to work at I, when I first was an intern and started as a therapist, you know, you, you, when you go to school, you learn all these techniques and theories about how to work with people. And, but I didn't really have life. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't know how to deal with all these problems in the room, to be honest. I just, I didn't know how to deal with so much trauma coming through the door. I just didn't know how to take it on at the end of the day. Uh, I don't think any therapist does. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of over the years, it's been a work in progress. And it's definitely a spiritual path, I think, at the end of the day, if you decide you want to go into being a therapist. What made you decide to be a therapist? Well, uh, I think I've always sort of helped people. Um, I didn't have a direct route to being a therapist. I was a sociology major in college. I minored in psychology kind of on accident like my last semester they said you know you're so close to a minor in psychology you just have one more class and I thought 
well, what does a minor do? You know, and they were like, oh, you can put on your resume, some hocus pocus. And I thought, oh, I guess so, you know. And then when I graduated from college, I kind of cruised around with my girlfriend and we didn't know what we were supposed to do. She was going to go to National University and do a teaching credential. And I was, I thought, oh, that's good. I'll do that. How do you do that? (laughs) Um, And when I got there, I realized, well, this minor sort of led the way for me to 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 get my master's in it so it kind of followed suit through there and you have a you have a love and a passion for bali Uh, yeah yes i do and i feel like a lot of your expertise in listening is similar to the way you talk about the culture there huh that's interesting because whenever you make reference to the people in Bali and the way they live their life and the way that you experience them, I feel like that's the way I experience you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it's the it's the reference to people being in the moment and being um, always with a, a big smile and an open heart. Right. And a sense of humor, too. The Balinese have a great sense of humor. So... <laughs> Like you. So I always ask everybody uh, that that comes to talk with me, if they were to recommend one thing for people, what would be the one thing for the number one health tip or wellness tip? What would you recommend for people? You know, I think I was talking a little bit about it earlier, but, you know, as a therapist, I would say that, that there needs to be more space for feeling. Um, and so, you know, to really kind of pay attention to, you know, is there sadness today? Are you, you know, is your anxiety here? Are you, is fear kind of coming? And to open to that. And, you know, we just, we have these old programs that, that shames us for feeling, for feeling bad. Um, kind of like we have this big club that we sort of smash ourselves over the head with, you know, all the time. And it needs to be recognized. I read in a book, it was actually Gangaji that said, you know, you have the absolute right to be on this planet free of guilt and shame. And I thought, wow, what a, nobody Concept. told me, <laughs> you know, nobody tells us. Um, but yeah, just, you know, um, to really, to, to kind of embrace all these feelings. Um, because when we meet them, and that's one of the things Hawkins talks about, that, that whatever pain, whether it's uh, shame or fear or anger, or whatever is coming up, if we meet it, it will resolve. If we open to it, yeah. yeah. I mean, if if you, I mean, we all know the times when we're crying and then we start laughing. Yeah. And it's because actually when you go into emotion and an emotion, it's, you sort of kind of balloon up to um, higher emotions, we, I don't know if we call them higher, but naturally, that yeah. we, don't have to, uh, we don't have to push, we don't have to fight our emotions all the time, we don't have to make them go away, or, you know, we don't, people don't have to talk us out of them, or, and we all know what it's like to have a, someone try to talk you out of your pain. Yeah. I mean, then you just, you want, you grab it tighter. And it's because they're uncomfortable with your pain, so they're trying to talk you out of it. Right. Like, it's making me uncomfortable that you're in pain and that you're suffering. And so let me talk you out of it. It's very true. We don't have any conditioning to deal with our pain and the pain of others, you know, to be able to sit with other people's pain with not without having all of the solutions and fixing and, you know, 
talking up or talking down over somebody just to connect, to stay connected, um, to stay connected to ourselves and other people. Without our iPhone? Without our iPhone. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wait. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love you. Love uh, you anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, we'll do this again next time. Maybe we'll talk about um, the the sexual evolution of mankind. And, oh, that uh, sounds fun. And <laughs> <laughs> humor and therapy. Right. All right. Awesome. This is Lisa Thorpe. Thank you, Carrie Pearman. Thanks so much, uh, Lisa. For, for joining me today. This is our new name, Alternative Health Tools podcast today we talked about some alternative health tools for your emotional and mental well-being thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day